You have a broomstick and you're outside in a hurricane and you're trying to balance that broomstick on a single finger. It's resting on a single point and everything in the known universe is acting against that broomstick. There is a principle in Judaism called tikkun olam, to fix the universe, or another translation is repair the world. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hinkin. This week on the podcast, Ship Shape. Ship Shape, say that four times fast. Okay, <laughs> this week on the podcast, Ship Shape, two stories about people acting quickly and decisively to keep the mission afloat. Before we get to the stories, we want to thank Park School, an independent co-ed progressive pre-K through 12 school located just outside of Baltimore. So our first storyteller for Ship Shape is Sylvia Jordan. She is a native of Alabama. She came to Maryland to attend the United States uh, Naval Academy. She is lieutenant in surface uh, warfare community. She's just like a badass. Like she's, she like renovates her own houses. She's huge into the diversity and inclusion initiatives at the Naval Academy. She's just a really inspiring person all around. And And your basic nightmare because she makes you feel like just junk as a person because she's so great <laughs> yeah, she wouldn't do that though she's also a really nice cheerleader for people so um we're psyched no she's she- awesome i'm not saying it's her that's making it's just her awesomeness hey that's on you that's not on that's her. right it is you're right <laughs> all right here's sylvia's story so i am in the u.s navy and we were on deployment one year um and i was standing watch in port and i got word that there was a ship that had grounded. Um, And what you need to know is that when a ship grounds, it's not like parking your 800-foot car in the garage. Instead, it's more like you have a broomstick and you're outside in a hurricane and you're trying to balance that broomstick on a single finger. It's resting on a single point And everything in the known universe is acting against that broomstick. The wind, the gravity, and your job is to keep that broomstick upright. My job on the ship is to keep ships upright. So when we got this message, I knew that I was going to have to select a team of people because we were close by, and we were going to have to go respond. The ship was taken on a lot of water. There was major flooding. There had already been a fire at this point in time. Um, In addition, they were also listing and they were in danger of heading towards what we call the danger angle. In other words, they were in danger of capsizing. So the very next morning, I took my team of 11 sailors and uh, we hop on a small boat and we go to see this ship. And we're going to board, we're going to be there as long as it takes. And our job is to find the damage, to fix the damage as much as we can, and to keep that ship upright so that they can bring it back in port. So I remember being in the small boat and you know, almost instantly, it looks like the situation is bad. I'm looking into the distance. The clouds are gray. The waves have really picked up. They're quite high. I'm in a tiny boat, so I know exactly how high they were at this point in time. Um, And we're supposed to have a storm within the next 24 to 48 hours with 40 knot winds. Again, you're balancing your broomstick. I was balancing mine. That is a bad, bad day for things to happen. But luckily, um, after, you know, a couple of failed attempts, we were finally able to go from this small boat onto the ship Um, And that's where our real work began. 
we were working in three cargo holds. I'd say that it's probably um, bigger than this room, actually. They're quite massive. And because of the damage that the ship sustained when they ran hard aground, there's some pretty serious problems. First and foremost, their watertight doors have been completely damaged. The ship has been dented and bent and just ripped and morphed in ways that steel should not be ripped and bent and morphed. So we started our work in a forward cargo hold, all right? And in this forward cargo hold, there is tons and tons and tons of water, okay? On, on a normal person, on you people, it would be up to your hips. On me, it was more up to my chest. Um, and so we're working, you know, on our very first day in this precarious situation in water all the way up to our chest, but it's not just water. There's also fuel in that water, and that fuel just so happens to be extraordinarily corrosive. I can remember taking off my boots that night because, oh, by the way, we're also sleeping and eating and doing everything on that ship to work on it round the clock. And I can remember taking off my boots that night and actually seeing where skin had eaten away from skin had eaten away from skin. It's really a bizarre sight to behold. But finally, we're able to get this, um, this compartment dewatered enough that we can see where the water is pouring in. And so it's, it's pouring in. It's between this pump that is welded to the deck, to the floor for you civilian types, all right? It's welded to the floor and this steel beam that goes from floor to ceiling, all right? I'm the shortest one in the group. There's a tiny space in between the pump and the beam, and we need to plug that hole. And they say, hey, Syl, can can you do that? Can you fit your arm in there? I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally fit my arm. We're good. I'll do this. I'll do this. So I've got, you know, any rags, any putty, anything I can find. I'm cramming it in here. I'm using wooden wedges, anything I can do to stop this flow of water. But there's another thing that you need to know about what happens when a ship grounds. Just because it's not moving through the water doesn't mean that it's not moving. It is. Outside forces are still acting on it. So it's not just, you know, sitting there on the reef. Instead, it's twisting the way that you might twist a dish towel. In fact, I can remember standing in one spot and looking to my left, and the ship was twisting backwards, and looking to my right at the exact same time, and the ship was twisting forwards. But oh, by the way, it's also moving up and down. So you're getting back and forth and side to side. It's a very bizarre motion. So I've got my hand in between this pump and this steel beam, and I look forward, and the pump is moving towards my shoulder, and I look backwards, and the steel beam is moving towards my shoulder, and I'm right up to my shoulder here. And I know that I'm telling this, and it takes 30 seconds to tell you how this went down, but in reality, this was a split second. And I realized what was happening. I got my arm out just in time, because if I had been a gnat's hair slower, 100,000 tons of force would have ripped my arm from my shoulder. That would have happened. And this is kind of our introduction to damage control, to learning that this is real life, that it's dangerous, it's precarious, and it's always in charge. And that's kind of how things went for the next um, you know, week that we were on board. We're always trying to stay on top of the damage. You can never completely repair it, but you can try. Um, so we're patching things with concrete, but because the ship is moving, it's always tearing our patches apart. And every time it does, there's new tears. The ship is literally tearing itself and bending itself apart. Okay, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the point of no return. And we're working around the clock to combat this, to shore up this damage. But we know that we need to make it at least a week. If we can make it one week, the high tide will come in. 
And the plan is, is that when high tide comes in, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of the weight off the ship. We're going to offload some of this equipment, the helicopters and the Humvees and the trucks and the whole nine yards, all right? We're going to take some of these things off the ship. And if we do that, it should be light enough that when the high tide rolls in, hopefully we can float and tugs can take us safely back into port. And God, I hope so, our patches will hold up. But there's a problem. We don't know the damage where the ship is sitting on top of the reef. And that's very problematic if you're going to float your ship. So I remember the day before high tide was supposed to roll in, I went to the salvage guy. This dude's an expert. He's been doing it for decades at this point in time. And I asked him, I said, you know, how's this going to go? And he says, honestly, I don't know. (laughs) And from the dude that's been doing this for years and years and years, that is not what you want to hear. (laughs) You want him to tell you that everything's going to be okay, but he certainly does not say that. And I can remember he said to me immediately thereafter, he said, but I tell you what, we've got 24 to 48 hours before we reach the point of no return. So next day comes, it's the day of float off. Um, I know how dangerous the situation is. And I take my team of sailors up topside um, to tell them what's going on and to tell them what our plan of attack is going to be. And so along the way, I tell them, listen, this is very dangerous, okay? I can't promise you that this is going to go well. I can't promise you that you're going to go home. I don't know that. Um, But here's what we're going to do to take some precautions. First and foremost, I want you guys to ring up what we call monkey lines um, in in the cargo holds where you're going to be working, okay? Monkey lines are just rope with knots tied in them so you can climb it. And I said, should the ship capsize or sink, all right, you use those monkey lines and you try and crawl up topside where we'll have the other side rigged. We've got our life jackets. We've got whistles. um, We've got these little water-activated flashing lights, all right? So what we're going to do is if that happens, we're going to swim out to this buoy over here. We're going to spoke up our life jackets in a wheel formation, and we're going to swim to this island, and we're going to wait for help there. But in between, I want you guys to call your families. You can't tell them where you are. You can't tell them what you're doing, but you need to call them. You need to tell them you love them. You need to settle up anything you need to settle up. You need to tell them where your last will and testament is. I myself did not have a last will and testament, um, but I remember calling my parents and saying, you know, this is where I want you to bury me. Um, I don't have a will, but please give these things to these people. You know, I texted family members to tell them that I loved them, um, that I didn't know what was going to happen, that I just wanted them to know in that moment and forever that I would always love them. But thankfully, um, the day came, and like I said, you know, everything went off without a hitch because obviously I'm standing right here before you today. Um, But, you know, the thing is, is that I learned a really important lesson that day. And in fact, I learned really important lessons that week because being in the military, we automatically assume that the things that are going to hurt us, the things that are going to kill us, the things that are going to put up the biggest fight in our lives are going to be people, are going to be flesh and blood, and they're probably going to be holding weapons, probably going to be wearing a uniform of some sort. In fact, um, when I told my parents what I was doing, my dad later confessed that he thought that they were sending me to a secret mission in North Korea. And I was like, that is absolutely not what is happening. That is the furthest thing from what has happened. That's ridiculous. Um, But what I did learn is that sometimes the biggest enemy you face in your life is something that is bigger and more powerful than you and can crush you in an instant. But it also just so happens to be something that you can't see. Thank you. This story is a yarn, and it's so visual thinking about this huge ship, especially that ship that just got 
stuck oh, in, the, um, ever, in the canal. Ever, oh, what was it called? Um, yes, the ship, the Evermore, right? Wasn't that what it was called? The Suez so, Canal ship? I don't know what it was called, but just like, yeah, this is what I picture with Sylvia here. Yeah, like that, I just think the it's ship around the same. Ever given? That's what it's called. Yeah. Same size. I love like the calm under fire aspect of this. It's like, you got to get this done. I don't know. I'm just not that person. And I love hearing stories about people who know what to do in crises. Yeah. Um, um, this is not me. But anyway, um, it's <laughs> such a cool story. And before we get to our next cool story, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which in offers low stress community acupuncture sessions starting at $35. And they have been named the best place to get poked in Baltimore. So visit them and tell them the stoop sent you. So our next story is from Dr. Jeffrey Hoffman, who started out his career as an astrophysicist. And then he was selected by NASA to be an astronaut. No big deal. He was, yeah, just no, yeah. <laughs> um, after 19 years and five space flights, he then went to the U.S. Embassy in Paris, where he worked as a diplomat for four years representing NASA in Europe. That yeah. doesn't sound exciting at all. <laughs> and then he ended up, oh, at a little school called MIT as an aerospace engineer. Good so Lord. He, I know. His story, your basic nightmare. Like I said, um, this story was recorded at a show we did in partnership with the Jewish Museum of Maryland as part of their Jews in Space exhibit. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm a professor of aerospace engineering at uh, MIT. And when people ask me what that means, it's just rocket science, right? Uh, I am a rocket scientist and uh, had the um, great privilege of, of spending uh, uh, 50 days in space during five space shuttle missions. You know, the, um, there, there is a principle in Judaism called tikkun olam to fix the universe, or another translation is repair the world. And in terms of repairing things, nothing in my career has been as important as when uh, I went up with uh, six colleagues to repair the Hubble Space Telescope back in December of 1993. So let's um, try to put yourself in into that situation because I'll tell you a, uh, one of the stories that that happened to us while we were doing that but you know there we were floating uh 400 miles above the surface of the earth um my colleague was uh, attached by his feet to the robotic arm and and I was holding on with one hand and we were basically taking a small electronic box that had failed and replacing it with a new one. This was a box that had been considered so reliable that they, they never thought it was going to fail. And, and so they didn't take any special uh, measures to, to make it easy to work with when you're wearing a spacesuit and you have big, bulky gloves on. You know, normally they try to make the bolts big so that you can you can hold on to them easy. But no, this uh, device had eight different connectors, each of which was held in by by small two millimeter screws, which are not easy to handle when you have have big space suit gloves on. So um, 
you know, there we were and when we had a screwdriver, we were taking the screws out and, and then we had a little trash bag on, on our chests and, and you, you'd put this, the screw as after you took it out into the, uh, the trash bag. Problem was, uh, as we got more and more screws in the trash bag, and remember, they're just floating around inside the bag because we're weightless up there. So when you open the trash bag to put another screw in, two screws float out. So we would try to grab the screws and then put them back into the uh, trash bag. And by the way, after our mission, they redesigned the trash bag so that things wouldn't come floating out of it. But that was too late for us. Anyway, at one point, uh, my, uh, my partner reached for one of those screws, touched it, couldn't quite get it with his big bulky glove and and knocked the screw in such a way that it was moving down towards the cargo bay of the shuttle, which you don't really want things floating around in there because there's a lot of motors and, and critical things. And, you know, we have to close the cargo bay doors in order to come home. So uh, I had a little bit more freedom of movement because uh, I was what they call free floating, meaning I was just holding on to one hand. My feet were not attached to anything. I, I had a stainless steel tether so I wouldn't float away if I let go. But I could basically hold on with one hand and reach out with my other arm to, to, to grab that screw. Well, unfortunately, it was about six inches away from my hand. But the... Uh, our colleague back inside the shuttle who was operating the robotic arm said, oh, just hold on, Jeff. Um, I'll, I'll drive the arm over towards the screw and, and, and you can grab it. So, so he did and, and the arm started moving and I was holding on, moving with the arm. But it turned out the maximum speed at which that robotic arm could move was exactly the same speed at which the screw was moving away from us. So there I was, you know, reaching out with my hand towards the screw and, and they were just both moving, moving away. It was the most frustrating thing. Here's where the training really comes in handy. We have uh, two people trained to do everything. So we had a backup robotic arm operator uh, and he remembered that when there's anything uh, attached to the arm, the maximum speed of the arm to move is reduced. So he floated over to the computer, punched in a few things, basically telling the robotic arm that, hey, there's nothing on the end of it. There's no people there. There's no satellite. And sure enough, the arm speeded up and I was able to grab onto that screw and put that away that was we referred to that as as the great screw chase um and that actually occurred on the fifth and final day of of our spacewalking one of the last things we we had to do and and after we finished all that and came inside we we knew that uh, in fact everything that we had set out to do to repair the hubble space telescope we had uh, been able to do and and um it it had all worked despite the fact that it was it was the most complex shuttle mission that had ever been done and many people thought that it was too difficult but we were in the mood to celebrate
And as far as a celebration, it was the middle of December of 1993, which happened to be during Hanukkah. And I had actually brought with me a dreidel, a beautiful silver dreidel made by an artisan in, uh, in Israel who, who had kindly given it to me to take up on this flight. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to make a big deal about, you know, any, anything religious or, or dreidels or whatever, but, but I took it out as part of the celebration and I, I was spinning it and showing my uh, crewmates, you know, what happens when, and of course it was kind of neat because you spin it and it just keeps spinning. Not like happens on, on earth. What I didn't realize was the TV camera uh in down on the mid deck where we were all working was actually live and the images of me spinning this dreidel were going right down to the earth and in mission control they saw it and the capsule communicator uh called up to me and said uh, hey jeff i'll bet all of american would all of america would like to uh, know what what you what's that thing you have there what are you doing with it and so I, I said to myself, well, all right, I wasn't going to make a big deal of this, but they asked. And so I, I gave a description of Hanukkah, the festival of lights, and explained what the dreidel was and speculated on how you might have to change the rules for working without any gravity when the dreidel's never going to fall over. And a um, television network in Los Angeles uh, picked that up and uh, it really became viral. And uh, to this day, you if you uh, Google dreidels in space, you can see me spinning that dreidel after our uh, repair of the Hubble Space Telescope. So it was both a triumph for um, astronomy, uh, for human spaceflight, and uh, a nice opportunity to show that, um, you know, Jewish uh, artifacts are, you can take them with you wherever you go, even to very strange places like up in space. And uh, if you haven't seen the video by now, go go and have a look at it. And now you know what the story is behind it. So it's uh, been a pleasure sharing that with you. Ground control to Major Tom. So this story is so fascinating. The fact that he went into space is so fascinating. And the picture, when we were at the Jewish Museum, again, this was, we did this story, this show, um, recorded it during COVID. So he told it from his um, room on the West Coast. Um, I believe he's, a, I can't remember if he's in Oregon. I think he's in Oregon. Regardless, it was so charming because, he, you know, this is a man who has had nothing but illustrious career move after illustrious career move. And in the background where, um, as he was sharing it, he had the stuffed animals <laughs> of his kiddos, like, from, you know, from his grandkids, just like casually in the background. Like it could have, you know, I just loved that about yeah. it. So yeah, that, that was awesome. So charming. Okay, so that was another episode of our Stoop podcast. Uh, we want to thank the Wine Source, um, which has been a longtime podcast sponsor. 
which has delicious beer and wine and snacks. Uh, They're located on Elm Avenue in Hamden. We also want to thank Golden West, which is a omni and excuse me, omni restaurant with a vegan forward menu with delicious food. They have a walk up window. It's all very COVID safe. They are also located in Hamden and have been since 1997. Please visit stoopstorytelling.com to hear stories from our archive or to learn about upcoming events, including our first live outdoor event with audience since COVID on Saturday, June 5th. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. And we want to thank you, Maureen Harvey, for producing and to you for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the Stoop.